Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. It is Monday night, not 1.30 a.m. this time. Pretty nice having just one Monday night football game, as great as those two last week were. But the Las Vegas Raiders are victorious in the first ever game in Vegas. 34-24, beat the New Orleans Saints. Big surprise. I mean, this was a game that the Saints opened up nearly a touchdown favorite. You know, line moved down to minus four by game time. Obviously, they didn't have Michael Thomas and all that. But, you know, for the Raiders to go out there and win by uh, two scores, very convincing win for them. A great job, you know, by Gruden, by Derek Carr, you know, by, by the whole squad. Even the defense went out there and played well. Obviously, we got some more notes uh, to go into that. But, yeah, so thank, thanks again for tuning in, everyone. We're going to go over that Monday night game uh, in this podcast. And then also want to get and touch on some injury uh, news and waiver wire implications of that. So this will be a little bit shorter than usual. We'll try and keep this one to 20 minutes. Break down that game, injuries and waivers. Let's get after it. So quickly, uh, Ve- Vegas Raiders, hey, you know, all the credit in the world again to Derek Carr. Uh, I'm certainly one of many on the old Twitter sphere. I'd like to give him plenty of shit uh, over the years. You know, this wasn't exactly a performance to uh, help people like myself pipe down all that much. I mean, out of his 38 pass attempts, only one uh, traveled 20 plus yards downfield. I mean, we had replays. Um, his one completion to Jason Witten for three yards, you know, Henry Ruggs just breaking free, wide open downfield. There's another time under pressure where wide open Josh Jacobs in the in the flat wasn't a perfect performance, but guess what? The guy threw for 282 yards, three touchdowns against a defense that going into the game I thought was pretty darn good at all three levels of the field. So you know, uh, it's not like every offense in the league just makes a living throwing downfield. I mean, last year the. Saints and 49ers, if you just look at the end of the year at deep ball rates, uh, Jimmy G and Drew Brees were both in the bottom of the league and Bridgewater as well in throwing down in, you know, percentage of passes to go 20 plus yards downfield and great, great team success, great offenses, all top five offenses, but you know, they were at the bottom of the league in that metric. So you don't have to throw deep. I just think the threat of throwing deep is what kind of opens up everything else. So, you know, they put up 34 points and again, Carr was as efficient as a, you know, we've, we've seen them, but uh, 7.4 yards per attempt just wasn't the type of world beating performance that, you know, someone with his uh, arm talent and kind of the flashes we've seen over the years maybe could be capable of. So, you know, Hey, two and oh, Raiders car is a big reason why maybe he keeps this up and uh, you know he doesn't just ne- he just doesn't need to uh, go downfield as, as all, all that often as much as people would like him to do uh, we'll see what happens but you know on this Monday night here in week two in September uh, fair play to Derek Carr on the great game and the great win uh, Raiders backfield Josh Jacobs comes in at 67 percent snaps this is what we expect in, uh, you know, big performances where the Raiders are going to play with a lead most of the way. The question coming into this game was if we were going to see a negative game script, would Jacobs be out there for the targets or would we see Jalen Richard, Devontae Booker? Still up in the air. You know, I talked about this uh, kind of going into the game, but last year in week one, Raiders beat up on the Broncos. Jacobs played 70% plus snaps, two scores. It was going great. Next two weeks when they lost, he couldn't even find the field 50% of the time. They had been getting him more involved as a receiver and they continue to do so at night. I mean, th- uh, tonight three catches on three targets for 17 yards and he looked good doing so he's always looked good as a receiver that's why we want uh, the Raiders to throw him the ball more it's not like he's this trash receiver that people want to get the ball to it's just a way of getting your athletes in space in the open field and as we saw last year Josh Jacobs you know number two in the league in total broken tackles uh, top three back in elusive rating truly one of the league's better just players with the ball in his hand would be nice to see them give him more open field opportunities we are starting to see that either way 30 touches it's unfortunate he couldn't find the end zone I mean he got so close a few times he had this absurd run 
from about the nine yard line where he must have broke three tackles before carrying the pile all the way down to the one. They never could get him in the end zone. Uh, it was a number of just vulture opportunities. Uh, Jalen Richard punched in a touchdown from 20 yards out towards the end. It looked like they might get down in the scoring range again. Uh, the fullback in gold had a short touchdown reception when it looked like they'd be going to Jacobs. Not a fourth and one. Uh, they faked the Jacobs and then went to Waller uh, out in the flat. Uh, Zay Jones also had uh, you know a touchdown uh, that was uh, around the red zone area. So definitely a situation where I think if they played this game, you know, a hundred times, the amount of times that Jacobs wouldn't find the end zone uh, would certainly be slim. But hey, you know, for him to go out there and get those 30 touches, similar to uh, the Joe Mixon game uh, from last Thursday night, I know people aren't happy about, you know, the production we saw from Jacobs, but all the usage is there. The snaps are there so far. Still a little bit worried about what happens with negative game script. But hey, you know, if these first two weeks are an indication, maybe the Raiders won't be playing with as much negative game script as we anticipated going into the year. So Josh Jacobs still fully locked and loaded as an RB1. He did leave the game briefly. It looked like a hamstring injury, but came back in, looked no worse for the wear. You know, we'll have to monitor the injury participation, uh, practice participation, excuse me throughout the week, but so far appears that Jacobs got off free. If there was some, you know, situation where Jacobs did get hurt, I do think Devontae Booker would be the guy to own um, over Jalen Richard. We saw last year when uh, Jacobs missed time, Richard stayed in that pass down role and DeAndre Washington took over, so I do think Booker is probably the handcuff if things do come to that. Uh, in the passing game, it was just Darren Waller and everyone else. 16 targets uh, for the Raiders. Tight end one. He caught 12 of them for 103 yards and a score. Only a long of 18 they just couldn't guard him it was one you know great play after another they shuffled defenders on him all night didn't really matter who it was Waller just kept beating him you know I was one of many that I didn't necessarily not expect Waller to have a good year still had him inside my top I think eight tight ends and everything but wasn't the guy I was willing to go out and get. I mean, him, Higby, that whole group of middle-class tight ends, they just weren't a group I was willing to reach for. I thought too many questions and too many, you know, potential breakout studs like Jonu Smith and Cy uh, Chris Herndon. So, uh, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but, you know, definitely probably should have given a little more credit to just Waller's natural talent and that winning out in the offense. Not only that, but just, you know, Derek Carr's profile of how he's going to play the quarterback position. I mean, Jared Cook two years ago, Waller last year, and Waller this year, the guy's churning out top five PPR tight ends. That's exactly where Waller belongs. I mean, how can you not put him up there after this performance? I mean, very few tight ends in the league have 16 target games in their range of outcomes. Uh, this is not the first time Waller has just, you know, gone to town with these targets. 16 might be a career high, but, you know, he has had these games where he just flies past 10 with ease. He's the undisputed one in this passing game as long as Derek Carr is under center. Otherwise, it was pretty disappointing to see, you know, the usage uh, elsewhere. Brian Edwards, only two targets. Caught both for 42 yards and looked great. He drew, he drew defensive pass interference another time, so every time they went his way, he looked good. He looked explosive. He looked strong, but uh, you know, just not enough opportunity. Renfro cut all three of his targets for 37 yards. No scores. You know, he's a decent underrated in the act maybe and also obviously super slippery out of the out of the slot great route runner but not enough opportunity there uh no snaggler had a 19 yard catch zay jones had the aforementioned touchdown henry ruggs only one catch for four yards still racking up the air yards i mean going into week one henry ruggs had the highest air yard market share in the entire league uh you know might still be there honestly again Derek carr only one pass attempt thrown 20 yards downfield in this game so wouldn't be surprised if ruggs is still over that 50 percent number but he's just gonna need to 
to catch one. It's going to be a low floor, and he's going to need to catch one of those, you know, two bombs he can get Carter throw him per game because otherwise in this offense, in this passing game, uh, past Darren Waller looking like a mystery. So still high on rugs uh, long term, but they're going to need to do something with Carter throwing a little bit more downfield or just change his usage a little bit more if this is going to be, uh, you know, the Waller show. So I would say rugs out of the group has the best chance of, uh, you know, being a fancy factor more weeks than not. We saw in week one they weren't afraid to use him in the screen game with some reverses and things like that. So I do think they're not afraid to give him some short, uh, short short targets, which he's more than capable of making the most out of. But, you know, those deep balls that really could unlock his full potential just might not be there as some have thought. Uh, moving on to the Saints side of the ball. Yeah, Drew Brees, uh, you know, 312 yards on 38 attempts, one score, one pick. But just did not look good doing so. And, you know, he's definitely catching the wrath of tw- the Twitter sphere right now. Many calling for, you know, 2020 vision Jameis to get out there or, you know, even God forbid everyone's least favorite vulture, Taysom Hill. But, you know, Breeze, we'll see what happens. It does give a little bit of a semblance to kind of the Peyton Manning 2015 season when his arm was shot. But I think in this offense and once Michael Thomas gets healthy again with Kamara and Michael Thomas, you know, those underneath just monsters, I think we're going to see more often than not them able to move the ball. And this was supposed to be a, a spot where they could do that. I mean, week one, you know, second fewest yards per play of the entire week. Going, that was against the Buccaneers, so we gave that defense a lot of credit. But Strader's defense, you know, they made a Carolina Panthers offense that uh, really didn't have any continuity going this year, looked pretty damn good in week one. And they were, you know, again, able to at least limit Breeze enough so that they only had 17 points uh, before there were, you know, four minutes and 33 seconds left in the fourth quarter. So, you know, fair play to the Raiders defense for standing up first game in their home stadium. Maybe that, you know, the uh, emotions were running high and had something to do with it, but just not good from Breeze back-to-back weeks, and it's going to be uh, problematic kind of treating him as a QB1 moving forward. I did my uh, quarterback uh, rankings article today. That'll be up in the morning, but, you know, it was ranking the guys before uh, the Monday night game, and just with Breeze, you know, he wasn't someone I was really running up to uh, go to after that week one, but, you know, we still got to deal with this reality that he's Drew Breeze. I ended up putting him in outside of the top 12. I, had him, I, was, I was my QB 13 before the game. He's got a, a Sunday night matchup next week against the Green Bay Packers, so not the best spot. You know, Yair Alexander's doing some great things, and I, they just don't have a guy that can win right now with Michael Thomas if he's out, so, you know, I really would be looking to play guys like Gardner Minshew, Joe Burrow, Matt Ryan. I have all these guys ranked higher than Breeze going to next week, and you know, I might even move him potentially below people like Ben Roethlisberger, Ryan Tannehill. It's, we've never really seen seen Breeze be this guy that's not a QB1 in fantasy, but right now it's not looking good. And, you know, with this offense, you take away Michael Thomas, it's Alvin Kamara can't do it all. So uh, unfortunate start for the Saints. They, you know, they've had some wild stretch of starting, uh, you know, they never get through these first two weeks with two wins. So not giving up on them yet at all. But, you know, at, the, at a minimum, I think we need to question the overall upside of this offense, particularly this passing game uh, moving forward. Alvin Kamara had himself a nice game per usual. Fantasy friendly as all hell, particularly with some of those catches in mop-up time. Overall, he had 13 carries, 79 yards, two scores. Also caught nine passes for 95 yards. Played 63% of the offensive snaps. Latavius Murray was in there at 29%. He only had three carries, 14 yards. Also caught two passes. But uh, Ty Montgomery was making this a little bit of a three-headed committee. He caught two passes for 25 uh, yards. 
you know, maybe it was because they were just losing that timeout. Montgomery got any run at all. But I will say, you know, if he is going to be getting 10-12% snaps per game, that's going to just about do it for Latavius Murray, uh, standalone value. I did Again, there's going to be better game scripts where the Saints are up and they'll lean on Latavius to get those 10 or 15 rush attempts. I know he had uh, that many in week one. But the timeout, who this guy insists on wearing 88, and it pisses me off. But anyway, you know, timeout coming in and playing and siphoning away that level of snaps. It's already tough enough with Murray. That's concerning moving forward. Lowers his already small pass game ceiling. I do wonder a little bit if Kamara were to go down, if, you know, we would see Murray and Montgomery form more of a committee than, you know, the featured Murray show we saw last season. Uh, wouldn't hate moving, you know, the likes of Pollard, Madison, Edmonds, ahead of Murray in the handcuffs ratings uh, because of that. I still think it's the big four and, you know, the little everyone else, but a little bit concerning usage from Ty Montgomery there. Just something to keep an eye on moving forward. But Alvin Kamara, you know, he's obviously continued to be fired up as a top five back. Looking at these wide receivers, Emmanuel Sanders, just big disappointment. Only one catch for 18 yards, and it happened with just a minute left in the game. Only three targets. Just very surprising to see them, you know, go out of their way to sign him in free agency and not have more of a plan to get him the ball. I mean, this was a guy that, with the 49ers last year, I mean, he was roasting Patrick Peterson, who was trying to shadow him one-on-one. I mean, he was a better ball away from scoring to go ahead touchdown in the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, it's surprising not to see him use more. Uh, Traquan Smith had seven targets. Deontay Harris had five. Again, Kamara had nine. Jared Cook had five targets. None of these guys just were able to go off. And the only guy with over 30 yards was Traquan Smith, who converted his five, uh, caught five of seven targets for 86 yards. Again, Kamara had the aforementioned 95. But credit to Traquan for, you know, making a lot of plays. He had some nice yak throughout the game, was breaking tackles. But otherwise, it, it, it was just, you know, sad to see out there. Uh, Jared Cook, nice Red zone touchdown where he's lined up out wide, came in, kind of out bullied the defender at the point and fell into the end zone. But not a lot of separation, not a lot of easy yards. And it does seem like defenses are finally just crowding the line of scrimmage and forcing Breeze to try to beat them deep, which right now they are not really built to do. We'll see if they can turn it around. It's a long season again. I think there's too much talent on the Saints offense and defense uh, for them to not make the playoffs. I still have them as the favorites to win the NFC South. But, you know, credit to the Raiders again for a great win and they are 2-0 and the Saints are 1-1 one one. so we'll see moving forward and I know a lot of people gave Peter King flack for uh, you know shouting out the Raiders as a I don't know if he picked them to win the AFC West but he at least had them in the playoffs and you know they're looking good so tough stretch coming up for them uh, Saints I think have a chance to get uh, on track here once they get Michael Thomas back we will see so that is the Monday Night Football recap now we're just going to go through some of the injury news from today and the waiver wire implications so starting off with the San Francisco 49ers Jimmy Garoppolo is week to week with an ankle injury, but there's a chance he'll play Sunday. So it sounds like at a minimum, he'll be in a good spot to play in week four. Nick Mullins is a guy that, you know, I did backup quarterback rankings uh, earlier, earlier in this offseason. And I ranked the 49ers in the top eight, mainly because of Nick Mullins. When he played a few years ago, he did look good out there. The 49ers had interest uh, in him. Uh, going into the season, but they uh, would not trade him. And that was kind of the reports coming out in April when teams were looking into him. So they like him enough to not want to give him up at this point. So I don't think it's going to be a long audition for him in there. He doesn't run, so I don't think it's going to be the most fantasy-friendly situation with no receivers out there for him. I'm not saying you need to stream Nick Mullins, but you know I definitely wouldn't count out the 49ers uh, against the spread or on the money line or anything like that just because they're going from Jimmy G to Mullins. More fancy a- applicable part of this 49ers team, though, is the backfield. Tevin Coleman with a knee injury, expecting to miss multiple weeks, and Raheem Moser with an MCL sprain is not likely to play 
on Sunday. So that leaves us with seemingly a three-back backfield. Jarek McKinnon, uh, Jermichael Hasty is expecting to get caught up from the practice squad, and Jeff Wilson. Now, the question is... I think it's going to be a committee, but can Jarek McKinnon be that lead back? Because he's looked great so far. I mean, nine touches for 121 yards, two scores. He had that 55-yard monster run, like a third and 31 against the Jets. He's broken three tackles on those nine touches. He's looked explosive. And, you know, is he ready for the real bigger role? I think so. I think he's the next man up. I mean, they've been using him on kick returns in these first two games. I think if they had hesitations about his health or keeping him, you know, fresh, they wouldn't be trotting him out there on special teams. So I know his snaps have been super high in these two weeks but you know I do think he's their RB3 and you know only Jeff Wilson and Hasty there I think McKinnon is going to have a chance you know get double digit touches so McKinnon right now is my number two priority waiver ad of the week we'll get to number one here in a couple minutes but do love McKinnon more than anyone else in this backfield if you if you're in a really big league I mean I don't mind taking a shot on Jeff Wilson he was really efficient last year with his touches scored I believe five touchdowns and you know fewer than 30 touches all season so uh, definitely made the most of his opportunity it's still gonna be an offense I think it's gonna be able to run the ball well and efficiently not who they're putting back there thanks to Kyle Shanahan being you know an offensive wizard but uh you know Hasty Wilson I think a little bit lower ceiling they're not gonna get a pass down work that's McKinnon McKinnon's best case is getting you know a quasi three down back roll his worst case getting a little extra rush attempts on top of the already fancy friendly targets he's getting so I think McKinnon is the back to own for sure in San Fran again he's my number two waiver ad my number one waiver ad comes out of Carolina and that's Mr. Mike Davis uh, Christian McCaffrey will be missing four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain and Look, Mike Davis, I mean, we saw him a couple years ago with the Seahawks really doing some good things. And, you know, with the Bears, he got that first snap uh, last season. People thought he might be starting. And uh, they, they cut him, and he didn't, he didn't make his mark there. But got signed by Carolina, beat out Reggie Bonifon in the preseason. Now, this is a situation where we have not seen uh, preseason snaps or McCaffrey out at all, pretty much. I mean, Bonifon was not active in that game last week. He's going to be there. Maybe it's more of a committee. You know, there's not many guys out there like Christian McCaffrey. I think it'd be silly to expect Mike Davis to get a one-for-one role replacement, but he was out there enough to catch all eight targets for 74 yards. He looked good doing so. Ah, this was garbage time. I get it. I mean, I don't, I don't expect him to replicate that receiving line next week, but he's a capable three-down back. I think uh, he's going to go out there and play something along the lines of 50 60 percent snaps i think we're going to see bonifon there for you know 25 30 percent i truly do think curtis samuel is going to get a lot more run in the backfield than people might uh be expecting he was already getting some snaps last week you know rules talked about throughout the offseason how they do like using them as both an rb and receiver the guy's been doing it since college the panthers are doing it with them towards the end of last year as well uh curtis samuel super high uh career yards per attempt rate you know he's not a small guy he's shifty as all hell i'm excited to see them get him some more opportunities in space but I do think Mike Davis when you look at the backs that are available with the Giants with the 49ers I think those scream multi-back committees at a minimum you know again I think McKinney's got that pass down role he can make the most out of it but Mike Davis is my number one waiver out of the week because out of all these guys I think he has the clearest path to that elusive three down role that we were always looking for in fantasy land 
All right, number three ad that I'm looking at this week comes from the New York Giants. So Saquon Barkley, unfortunately, out for the season with an ACL injury. Also note that Sterling Shepard with a toe expecting to miss a few weeks. So Darius Slayton, uh, Golden Tate managers out there, don't be afraid to fire them up with a little more confidence moving forward in this condensed passing game. But, you know, speaking specifically on the running back room, I'm out on Deion Lewis, people. You know, let, let this, we'll see if it comes back to bite me. I just, I'm not going to spend half my fab on Deion Lewis, who, while he got the featured role with the Titans when Derrick Henry was out over these last two seasons, he did not do anything with it. I and mean, we saw it was one of the worst games from a starting running back, I think, all season last year when he was out there. He had great success with the Patriots. I'm not trying to take anything away from Deion Lewis's career, but this is a pint-sized running back that's been a pass-down specialist for most of his career, and we have little or no evidence of the, over the last two seasons of him doing anything uh, at a high level as a true three-down back. So I think Wayne Gallman is the guy that's going to end up leading this backfield. I'm not saying Jordan Renan is, you know, the top reporter in the world, but he did say that Gallman, you know, the coaches were saying that he can carry the load. And if Barkley misses times, uh, the idea is that Deion Lewis isn't built for a big role. He'll remain the pass down back. Gallman can come in and more or less replicate Barkley. Gallman's not playing on special teams. Why would he need to be active on game days when Barkley is going to be there playing 80, 90% of the snaps and Deion Lewis is doing his pass down role? I think Gallman is the guy I would prioritize adding him. You know, he's my number three because I think, there is a chance that with Devontae Freeman, you know, visiting there and also Deion Lewis being there. I mean, there's no guarantee with this new coaching staff that Gallman's going to get that same role he had last year. I mean, again, one start last season, Gallman had 18 carries, 63 yards, one touchdown, six catches, 55 yards, and one touchdown receiving. The problem is, you know, there was no Deion Lewis in that uh, on that team. So definitely wouldn't be surprised if Deion Lewis's, you know, 10, 20% role with Saquon almost doubles now that Gallman's there. But I really do think Gallman's going to be the guy flirting with 15, 20 touches more weeks than not. You know, the reason why I have him behind Mike Davis and behind um, Jeremy McKinnon, though, is look at this look at this Giants offense. I mean, we want volume, but again, the pass game volume might be tough. This is still an offense that has not been able to do anything uh, in two tough matchups against the Steelers and Bears. But, you know, not still not the easiest stretch in September. And after that, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, definitely not a guarantee that even if Gallman gets his volume, it's going to be all that fantasy friendly. So I'm pretty out on, you know, trying to reserve Devontae Freeman. We don't know where he's going to go. And what we, ex- we want to spend a bunch of money on Freeman just hoping he's going to go to the Giants and then just get a three-down roll by Sunday or they're going to wait and give it to him in two weeks? I don't think so. He did not look good at all last season. We're now going to week three. No one signed him yet. You know, he can, him and his agent or whoever can put out whatever statements they want in the media saying they're waiting and this and that. I know he's been getting active visits, but he can be waiting for the, you know, top situation always wants. I just think the you know, okay, Adrian Peterson came out of nowhere and got 14 carries on the Lions. You know, it can happen. These things do happen. But, you know, for a player that really seemed to be on his last legs last year uh, to be just without a team, we have no idea what kind of shape he's in. And again, has been on multiple visits, but nothing to come of them. I think it's a massive reach to expect him to do anything. And again, all the same problems I just said about Gallman, potentially applying to Gallman also apply to Freeman. I mean, expecting Freeman to come in and just take over the Saquon role one for one while Gallman and Dion, you know, piss off on the sideline. I do not expect that to happen at all. So Wayne Gallman, number three, waiver ad of the week. Wouldn't blow the bank on him. If, you know, if you want to put up a significant percentage of your fab, I wouldn't recommend over 50% on any of these guys or anything like that. But if you want to go a little bit significant, Mike Davis, number one, Jarek McKenna, number two, 
and Mr. Wayne Gallman, number three, everyone. So uh, a couple other situations to monitor. Paris Campbell with a knee injury is out indefinitely, unfortunately. Don't think there's too much we can do with this right now. I mean, the target threshold uh, in this game last week with Paris out early was Michael Pittman, six targets. Uh, Mo Ali cox had six. T.Y. Hilton, five. Zach Pascal four. Jonathan Taylor, two. Um, Naeem Hines, one. I mean, that's going to change in future weeks. Naeem Hines is going to have more, as we saw in week one. Taylor could have more. I think the big takeaway was that Rivers throwing 25 passes instead of, you know, 46 makes way more sense. This, this is going to be a run-first offense going through Taylor and their big badass offensive line. Uh, you know, the targets, I think, behind T.Y. Hilton, who at some point is going to emerge as this uh, offense's number one pass game option, they're going to be up and down. You know, hey, if Jack Doyle stays sidelined, maybe uh, Maction, a.k.a. Mo Alley-Cox, can make his, you know, keep making plays and do his thing. But more, more than likely, we see Doyle come back, start splitting reps again at tight end, becomes even more muddled. Behind T.Y. Hilton, I just don't think there's going to be enough consistent volume for anyone to ball out in this passing game. Um, luckily, Devontae Adams' injury is not considered serious per coach Matt LaFleur. He might have had a chance to go back in the game. They just didn't want to risk it with the lead. So it sounds like he'll be fine. I do think it's a good situation to realize, you know, hey, this passing game is great. And going into the year, the only reason why these Packers receivers, meaning MBS and Lazar, weren't ranked higher is because we really didn't know what the pecking order uh, was going to be or if these guys would be playing even full-time roles. And we had guys like Kumaro, Equinemius, St. Brown. There's a lot more uncertainty there. So now that we know the Packers are rolling with, you know, a true three wide receiver set of Adams, MVS, and Lazard, you feel free to treat MVS and Lazard as, you know, that kind of weekly upside wide receiver fours that as we get in these bye weeks, you know, we're going to want guys associated with Aaron Rodgers on the roster to start if we need them. So a lot of injuries going on. There are worse guys to have than a receivers that are going to be on the field uh, upwards of 80% of the snaps with Mr. Aaron Rodgers. Um, Drew Locke with a right shoulder injury is going to be sidelined at least two weeks. Corlin Sutton with a knee is done for the season. Jerry Judy needs to be owned in every single league and honestly should be started more times than not. Looks amazing as a route runner. Really has been struggling with some drops the first two weeks, but I don't think that's going to be a long-term issue at all. The uh, more underrated guy, because I think Judy is owned in a lot of leagues already, but KJ Hamler is someone to keep an eye on. Started to flash uh, that last week. This guy has speed for days. I know he couldn't run at the combine, but you know as a... Uh, a lifetime Ohio State fan, you know, watching this dude just blow past our secondary uh, time or two at Penn State. This dude can fly. I mean, I really think he could have put something up there with the 40 time. Uh, that started with a 4.2. So uh, excited to see him there. I don't think Jeff Driscoll is going to make this, this uh, you know, offense unwatchable or anything. This guy is actually awesome. He's really fun to watch. Uh, over, since the week one of 2019, Jeff Driscoll joins Matthew Stafford and Jameis Winston as the only quarterbacks with a double-digit average target depth. I mean, this dude is not afraid to chuck it downfield. We saw that last week. I mean, he threw for 256 yards and a pair of scores coming off the bench against the freaking Steelers. Had him a chance to almost win the game. So, you know, all the credit to him. I don't think he's going to be a long-term answer or anything like that. You know, this week's going to be tough, uh, you know, coming in. But moving forward, I'm not going to be afraid to use him as a potential DFS option. This guy can run. Uh, he's put uh, Last year with the Lions in three starts, he had 37 rushing yards, 51 rushing yards in a score, 63 rushing yards. Last week, he only had two carries for five rushing yards, but truly has the athleticism to make it happen, has the gunslinger mentality to chuck it downfield. Uh, Driscoll, you know, is like a poor man's Josh Allen out there. Uh, might be able to take some people by surprise in DFS while they're still figuring him out. Um, all right, last one, I believe, everyone. Thank you for staying with me here. But Cam Akers with a ribs injury. Didn't see an update uh, today with this, so some will really want to monitor throughout the week. But I think it's just noting that we want these Rams backs on our roster because, again, 
as we get in the bye weeks, as more guys get injured, as we get more and more desperate, you could do much worse than someone that's looking at double-digit touches per game inside of this Rams offense. And, you know, last week what we saw was Malcolm Brown play 54% snaps, Henderson play 42% after Akers left after just three snaps. And it's reflected what Sean McVay has been saying really throughout the whole offseason, that they have three running backs. They're going to go with the hot hand. They're going to go with, with who's playing better. And week one, that was Malcolm Brown. And week two, that was Daryl Henderson. You know, because of this, we're not going to be able to consistently rank these guys in the top 24. But you know, there's going to be big games from them in this offense that is, you know, trending more and more towards being a run first unit. So, again, you can do way worse than 10, 12 touches inside of this offense. Always got some multi-touchdown upside. If either guy's available, they should be on your roster. So, Thank you for tuning in, everyone. A quick, quick uh, shout out to our sponsor, though, Monkey Knife Fight. Just want to note that all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 in their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 even into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. So make sure to take advantage of that. Thank you for tuning in to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian Hardis, and we will have more podcasts on the way. Uh, Wednesday, breaking down all 16 games with PFF's own Andrew Erickson, and then having on from uh, Fantasy Pros, Mike Tagliari, to uh, talk some starts and sits and uh, also some DFS plays on Thursday. So thank you all for tuning in as always, and until next time, take care.